We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. The Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. How, how many makers and cokes have you had? We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible, presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I am Justin Graver. I am joined, as always, by Justin Mello, and we are coming to you on Thursday afternoon, probably listening to this on Friday morning. What is up, everyone, and what is up, Justin? Feeling good, feeling great. Uh, Excited to do this with you, as usual. And we've actually got a lot of news and notes to cover today. Yeah, I was surprised when we started putting this little rundown together how much we have to talk about because we are officially into the pretty much the worst part of the NFL offseason schedule from now until about August, really end of July when they start reporting for training camp. Yes, we have OTAs in June, but those we don't get to hear a whole lot about. So we are into it. This is the offseason, baby, and we are going to do our best to come up with great offseason content all summer long. Starting with today's stuff, we're going to go through a little bit of news and notes, some Titans-related news, some Derrick Henry-related news, some other news items that are kind of tangential to the Titans in Nashville, but I want to talk about them, so we're going to. Then we're going to discuss thoughts and takeaways from what we heard out of Rookie Minicamp. And finally, we will close with a Julio Jones discussion, philosophical and practical, what we what we think might happen and what we want to happen and why things some some ways that that could actually get done and work out financially with trade assets and and the like so we'll get into that we'll finish the show with that but first we're gonna get into some news and notes just some little housekeeping items here and that starts with the titans signing another wide receiver this time former vanderbilt vanderbilt receiver kalijah lipscomb who many titans fans saw videos floating around on twitter of kalijah lipscomb doing horrible um in a, in a receiver drill where he drops the ball a few times in a row and then trips on the ladder after finally catching it. So uh, thoughts on Kalijah Lipscomb signing? Yeah, I would think that had to have been the worst part of his day, right? Because <laughs> they actually decided to sign him after that, right? Because he was, he was there on a tryout basis. Yeah, I and, think uh, people he, are absolutely overreacting to one rep and like they right. saw way more than we saw. And like if Kalijah Lipscomb's gonna, I mean, this guy's not gonna make the roster anyway. He's a camp body, so whatever. They liked him enough that they're going to have him come to training camp pretty much is what happened. Right. He's an extra body there to have in camp. Uh, a guy that I know a lot of Titans fans, if you're a local guy and uh, you know, Vanderbilt, obviously just being down the road there, uh, you're familiar with him. He had a great college career. A lot of people expected him to get drafted. He didn't, he went undrafted. Uh, he's bounced around a little bit. And now here he is locally in Tennessee. And I know a lot of people are going to be rooting for him, but certainly uh, e- even a- as little depth the Titans have at receiver, uh, it's going to be quite the uphill battle for him. Right. And in order to make room for Lipscomb, the Titans waived wide receiver Richard Davis, along with linebacker Davin or Davin Bellamy for a non-football injury, which you hate to see. Um, what's interesting about Lipscomb is that four guys came to this rookie minicamp on a tryout basis. You reported Memphis quarterback Brady White would be there. They had a couple other guys there. And Lipscomb's the only one who actually was signed to the team. These other guys, they might put them in a database and call them up if something happens. But it looks like the other other guys didn't make enough of an impression to stick. So outside of that horrible rep that we saw floating around social media, 
obviously Lipscomb did enough to impress because three other guys did not. He must have. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point. I think there was a, a Utah cornerback there uh, that also tried out. Josh Nurse uh, right. was the third guy that tried out. Uh, three of the four, sorry. And UCF running back Otis Anderson was the fourth, in case people are wondering. Uh, Brady White, you know, I, I broke that news about him trying out, and it blew up on Twitter. People love him locally. He's obviously a, a big deal. So uh, a little surprising that, you know, he, he didn't get signed. I thought they could maybe use an extra arm in camp there. And, and of course, they could still revisit him or look at other quarterbacks. Uh, but you said it, you know, Lipscomb was the only one that gets signed. Obviously, he showed some some good things there for him. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our next item of news here. This came out this week, earlier this week, when Bruce Arians went on the Pewter Report podcast and mentioned that the quote, the direct quote was, as training camp's going on, we've got a week set up with the Titans. Hopefully everything goes well so we can do that and we'll just judge where everybody's at and how much they play in the preseason. So the Titans play the, the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay in the preseason on August 21st. So it looks like the Titans will probably hold a week of joint practice leading up to that game. And if you listen to the F-Words podcast, Mike Herndon predicted that this would be a likely uh, training camp team pairing a few weeks ago. So he he was all over that. He called it. And I think it's great for the Titans to go practice with the Super Bowl champions, see what a Super Bowl champion training camp practice looks like. Obviously, they've they've had Tom Brady out to Nashville before when the Patriots came, so Vrabel and Brady, you know, they have a, a relationship. There was a lot of trash talk on the field the last time they had training camp together. Obviously, last year with COVID, there was no co-training camps. So it's nice that they are planning to get back to it. Obviously, Arians kind of hinted at it. He said, uh, he said, hopefully everything goes well so we can do that, basically meaning hopefully right. COVID doesn't screw this up. But right. I think it would be great if it, if it works out. Yeah, you're not going to get any pushback from me. I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, Titans have, have made a habit of this. As you said, of course, they didn't get to do it last year. Uh, nobody did, obviously. But uh, getting there into Tampa, it's, it's going to be hot. <laughs> the week of August, I mean, it's hot in Tennessee, so it won't be that different. But it's going to be hot there in Tampa for them. Uh, but you said it, going up against the Super Bowl champions for a week long, uh, it's a great litmus test in a way, right? See where you're at, see where they're at. Uh, in my opinion, nothing but good things can come from it. Right, and and we'll talk a lot more about that in August. So let's move on to our next topic here, a little news item to hit. Derrick Henry was named, I think this happened on Thursday, was named the Tennessean of the Year by the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, Obviously, Derrick Henry led the NFL in rushing, became the eighth player in NFL history to rush for 2,000 yards this past season, the final 16-game season of NFL history, we think. So... Maybe 2,000 yards will become more more common with a 17th game, but Henry's will always be special because it happened in a 16-game year. And it's nice to see the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame recognize that. I mean, it's not it doesn't really mean a whole lot outside of this state, but props to Henry. Well-deserved and good for him. Well-deserved. Congratulations. I mean, who else would you choose, you know, for an honor like this? Uh, the guy's a beast. He's coming off an unbelievable season, the 2,000-yard season, as you said. So congratulations to him. Well-deserved, and I'm sure it'll put a smile on his face today. And in addition to that, the Titans were also named the Pro Sports Team of the Year, the Professional Team of the Year award by, again, the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame. So this only applies to the state of Tennessee, and we're just assuming that means they beat out the Memphis Grizzlies, the Major League Soccer Team, Nashville SC, and the Nashville Predators. I'm not sure 
what who else they could who else would be included in that i don't know if the minor league teams count they, i guess those are technically pro teams how many are there i'm not i don't live in tennessee i don't know what kind of sports teams are over there <laughs> <laughs> um so i mean the i'll say this about about this one a little surprising to me that this wasn't given to nashville sc you know going through all they went through and i'm a big soccer fan not so much i'm, I'm not an mls fan but if you're listening to this and you're a soccer fan, it'd probably shock you to know how big of a soccer fan I am. I'm a massive soccer fan. It's my second favorite sport behind football. So I know a lot about the game. I've been watching it for over 25 years. Um, Nashville SC, you know, coming into the MLS last year, uh, is their first season. I mean, that's rough. I mean, you don't have to know anything about soccer to know. You know apply it to what sport you follow. A team in their first season typically struggles. You know, it's a it's a piece together roster. You got a bunch of expansion team, right? They just added, yeah, right. It's It's a piece together. And I remember, heck, in the MLS. I mean, I'm I'm from Toronto, Canada. When you know Toronto FC is quite the good team now, but when we were an expansion team, my God, we were horrible. I remember that well. There was so much excitement in the city here, and that was a really bad team. And it took a couple years. Nashville. So add that onto the fact that Nashville was dealing, of course, as see with the with the pandemic, COVID, interrupted seasons. You know, they, they were playing games at other stadiums. It just it was a disaster for them, right? In an expansion year to deal with COVID, they made the playoffs and they won a playoff game. Uh, they beat uh, my team. They beat Toronto FC in the playoffs in the first round. So uh, I'm not going to lose sleep over this. Don't get me wrong, uh, you know, but. But a little surprising to me. I mean, yes, Titans won the division, made the playoffs. Terrific, of course. But a little surprising to me that that Nashville SC didn't receive this honor. But at the end of the day, we were a Titans podcast. So we <laughs> actually agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> Good for the Titans. They won something that, honestly, is this a big deal? I mean, you and I are, are out-of-staters, so we don't really know if this is a big deal. Hit us up on Twitter if this is a big deal at MCA Broadway. Let us know, because we, honestly, we don't. All right, let's move on now to our next bit of news here. This is a quick one. The Titans have donated over $315,000 to youth football in Tennessee. That's a story on titansonline.com. I just think it's really cool. I don't think that, in general, the accomplishment, not the accomplishments, but the the charitable component of the NFL, I mean, all these guys, all these organizations in all these cities around the league are constantly doing things to give back to the community. And we just don't talk about it enough, in my opinion. The media in general doesn't cover this enough. They're way more focused on covering stories about domestic abuse and and other broken laws and DUIs and substance abuse. And and I mean, those are the things that get the clicks, so you, you understand why. But I just I just think we need to talk more about the the good benefits that the NFL brings to communities all across the country. And so we're going to talk about the Titans today in support of youth football across the state of Tennessee. I'm quoting Jim Wyatt's article. The Tennessee Titans recently donated over $315,000 to flag youth, middle, and high school football programs in the team's region. Donations were made to 60 organizations and schools that demonstrated strong commitment to the development and safety of youth football. So anyway, this is a this is just a great gesture by the Titans to help football in the state, help get get these teams to have up-to-date equipment and weight rooms and everything they need to stay healthy and pretty much just uh, play football in a safe, healthy way and not be underfunded. I don't know. I'm kind of rambling now. You want to you wanna jump in here? <laughs> yeah, this is a terrific gesture by, by Miss Amy Adams Strunk and the, and the rest of the Tennessee Titans. You know, it's not Trump change, you know, $315,000. And, you know, and to youth football in Tennessee, and I'm sure this doesn't have anything to do with it, but – 
you've probably seen the video going around Twitter where those two kids are in Titans jerseys and there's a Titans logo on the field and, and they're running drills and one kid absolutely bulls over the other kid. It was getting a lot of, um, you know, looks on Twitter and people were talking bad about it as they should. It was a terrible look that obviously had nothing to do with the Titans, but it, you know, it was youth football and everything. So for the Titans to be donating this money, uh, you know, helping kids get what they need to play football safely and, and advance their skills, uh, it's a, just a, another terrific gesture. And what's been a long line of a- Miss Amy Adams strunk making the right moves, right, as the controlling owner of this organization. So uh, hats off to her and hats off to the organization because this is a terrific gesture. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And while we're on the subject of youth football in Tennessee, Titans tight end Anthony Ferkser is hosting a camp for youth football players and I believe you have a lot of info on this. I know you tweeted about it, and Mike tweeted about it. Mike Miracles also tweeted about it. I think this is great. He's the uh, he's the tight end one in the t- for the Titans now. Yeah, Anthony Ferkser. This, this is another great opportunity here. The camp's going to be in, in Cool Springs, uh, Franklin D one, uh, Nashville Youth. Another terrific opportunity, right on that topic. Sunday, June thirteenth. And Ferks was bringing a couple other Titans out with him, Logan Woodside, Mason Kinsey, and, and several others are, are set to make an appearance today. It's going to be a great day for the kids, really exciting. And, and the proceeds, you know, they're, they're going, um, uh, f- sorry, the proceeds for this camp, they're going to go to Karen Hearts, uh, Caring Hearts, excuse me, which is a nonprofit organization that Anthony Ferkser works with that helps families in need uh, in Nashville and Mexico. So uh, another terrific gesture, a terrific opportunity for the kids to get out there, uh, you know, play ball with some of these NFLers, play ball with your idols. If you're a Titans fan, the opportunity to, to, to play, you know, with, and train out with Anthony Ferkser is a terrific opportunity. So uh, hats off to Anthony and check out my Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL or Mike's, of course, for more info on this and, and including the sign up page. If you want to get your kid uh, a chance to go out there and, and learn a thing or two. Yeah, so we are very supportive of Anthony Ferkser and appreciative of what he's doing out there. And while we're on the subject of tight ends hosting camps in Nashville, maybe you saw this bit of news. George Kittle, Greg Olson, and Travis Kelsey, they've teamed up to create what they're calling a tight end summit, a.k.a. tight end university. They have a Twitter handle and everything at TE underscore university. It's going to be in Nashville, similar to the edge rushing summit that Von Miller, I think, hosts every year. And they've got a lot of big name tight ends, some of the, the pretty much the best tight ends in the NFL have have committed to going that they've announced those would be Darren Waller, TJ Hawkinson, Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, Mike Gusecki, Robert Tunyon, Noah Fant, Zach Ertz, Cole Komet, Johnu Smith, Eric Ebron, and David Njoku are just some of the names that, that have been floated on Twitter. So Zach Ertz coming to Nashville. Will he leave Nashville? We will see. Just a little conspiracy <laughs> theory I'm throwing out there. Um Johnny Smith coming back home to Nashville. And if you if you listen to Bussin' with the Boys, which you definitely should because it's a really great podcast and great insight into, you know, the lives of players on your favorite football team. They had George Kittle on recently with Robert Tunyon and and he was on a few a few weeks back too with TJ Hawkinson. And they talked a lot about George Kittle's ranch, farm, ba- big, big multi-acre, huge property that he just I think it's like a 75-acre property or something that he just bought in Nashville and has kind of outfitted into a workout facility. So apparent, and they talked about how they wanted to get a tight end summit together and have tight end you in Nashville. And they had, they hadn't, when they recorded that bus and pod, they hadn't had any plans in motion yet. So it's cool to see this now. 
after hearing about that on the podcast, come out and they have now a tight end summit planned. I'm assuming it's going to be at Kittle's massive compound in Nashville. I'm talking about this because it's Nashville news more so than Titans news. Uh, we haven't heard that Ferkser is going to be there or anything like that. But, I, you know, all these tight ends in Nashville and and <laughs> the Titans can't find one. <laughs> That's a great point. But you know what? Uh, I mean, this, this we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. What I will say is uh, it's cool for the city of Nashville. You know, George Kittle's not from Nashville. He was born in Wisconsin, went to high school uh, in Oklahoma and played college football in Iowa, right? So it's not like he had to do this in Nashville. I know he's got the ranch there, as you mentioned, but to me, it really is just another sign of of what a great city Nashville is and how much it's growing and evolving uh, really on a yearly basis, it feels like. So this is a really cool event. There's going to be so many great players there, and I think it's great that this is in Nashville. Yeah, or or I guess uh, outside Nashville. Just I mean, outside Nashville, correct. He's got... Um, I'm looking at a tweet here from at Matt Barrows on Twitter, who uh, covers the 49ers for the athletic, who has posted about, who wrote an article about Kittle's weight, Kittle's, excuse me, property. I was correct. 75 acre spread just outside Nashville that will have a little bit of everything, a weight room, an indoor field, an outdoor field, and a recovery room and a football throwing robot, which I assume is just a jugs machine, but maybe it's an advanced jugs machine. I don't know. I didn't read Maybe it's going to be Tim Tebow. Is is Tim Tebow a football throwing robot? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what he is at this point. He's a tight yeah. end, apparently. He, he should go to the tight end summit if he wants to really learn how to play <laughs> tight end. All right. That is enough about uh, players that don't play for the Titans. So now we're going to discuss rookie minicamp and everything we heard coming out of rookie minicamp. I mean, mostly promising stuff. The, the biggest news is probably that Elijah Molden and Caleb Farley either didn't participate at all or, or in Molden's case, was a very limited participant. Mike Vrabel said if there was an injury report, which there wasn't, Molden would have been listed as limited. So I'm not concerned about the injuries at all. Is there any, is there any top takeaways you heard about from this, from this minicamp or anything that jumps out at you right away that you want to say? Yeah, I mean, I think well, if there's anything that jumps out at me, it's that um, Naquan Jones, uh, UDFA, was actually the only D lineman in attendance there and was getting coached by like three coaches. You know, Mike Vrabel was over there at one point. Uh, D line coach Terrell Williams was over there. Uh, assistant coaches were over there. So Naquan Jones got a lot of one on one coaching and attention, and, and that's great for him, right? Uh, coming in as a UDFA. So Mike Vrabel actually even mentioned him by name. In a, in a press conference after rookie mini how often does Rabel do that? How often does he single out a UDFA that had a good day or they felt like they got a great look at? So certainly beneficial uh, for Naquan Jones to, to have that sort of spotlight on him. Yeah, that is very interesting. And to me, what stood out and, and if you listen to F words pod, Mike Herndon talked about this a little bit, but Des Fitzpatrick going through receiver drills, all eyes are on Des Fitzpatrick. We're going to talk about what the Titans have done and could do at the receiver position here in a minute. But up to this point, they basically did nothing. They basically ignored the position for the better part of the offseason, despite losing Corey Davis, cutting ties with Adam Humphreys, letting Khalif Raymond walk, and of course, letting Jonu Smith walk in free agency. So that's, I mean, those are four pass catchers that Humphreys has been injured a lot, but over the last couple of years have played a major role. We all know this. We all know the lack of depth behind A.J. Brown. I was listening to the Pick 6 podcast, CBS Sports podcast, with Will Brinson, and they were talking about the AFC South and who they think can win the AFC South. And 
Well, Brinson gets on off on this tangent rant about the Titans receivers that I just thought was spot on and hilarious, where he, he basically says over and over again, I don't get it. W- what am I missing here? W- which one of these guys is going to be the guy that steps up? What? What don't I get? What it was just hilarious. Like he he said something like, "It's just AJ Brown and Josh Reynolds. That's a crazy plan, and it is a crazy plan." So all eyes on Des Fitzpatrick now, who has to step in and basically contribute as a rookie fourth round receiver, which doesn't happen very often. And he looked good. I mean, we don't know anything about what this means. It doesn't mean that he's going to go out and be a great player. It doesn't mean he's going to go out and be terrible. It literally doesn't mean anything. But it's better to see him go out and look good than it is to see him go out and, you know, even though it's just a few videos, better than looking like Kalijah Lipscomb and dropping passes and tripping over ladders. So I think that all eyes on Des Fitzpatrick and so far so good. Obviously, we have to wait to see more, but I like what what, what we saw so far. And when I say what we saw, I'm literally talking about Twitter videos because obviously we are not there. Well, I think that, you know, I'll say this, and I probably said it already, but I, I got a chance to interview Dez recently and uh, really was impressed by him, his attitude, his work ethic, the way he approaches the game. He, he, he loves ball. I think he's a really advanced route runner, really good, savvy technician who, who has some athletic ability, right? He's not, uh, uh, he's not overly, you know, he's not a slow player. He's not unathletic or anything like that. So uh, no one's going to describe him as, as the greatest athlete, but he's a good athlete and he's an even better, uh, you know, X's and O's guy, so to speak. So uh, excited about him and the opportunity that he has. And, and that rant on the podcast was pretty funny about, I don't know what the plan is. Well, uh, I do think as of now, and it could change, but as of now, the plan is that Des Fitzpatrick probably plays quite a bit of time as a rookie. So do you have expectations? Like, I hate to put statistical expectations on it, but what do you think would be considered a successful season for Fitzpatrick? Is it 500 yards? Is it 300 yards? Is it 800 yards? Like, where, where does he have to fall for you to think that he did well? If he's playing as much as we think he's going to play, uh, then I think 500 yards, I, I would say, is a success. I mean, 300, if he's playing a lot, it's really not, you know, all that. Uh, I, I think 500 would be a, a realistic number that I could see him hitting. Uh, and I think that would be good. I mean, if you, if you look at, you said 300, for example, over 17 games, that's 17 yards a game, right? 17 and a half yards a game. That's not going to cut it. If, if you're looking at 500, that's about 30 yards a game. Still not great. <laughs> well, you account for a couple of weeks or maybe he has, you know, a 60 yard game and then he has a 20 yard game because Derrick Henry dominates. You know what I mean? Or A.J. Brown dominates and Josh Reynolds, yada, yada. But I think a 500-yard season, if he's truly the receiver three, I think that's what you need out of him. That's a fair point. I think that that works. It's all context-based. You know, it all depends. Like, if Josh Reynolds has 1,200 yards, which is way more than we expect, then Des Des Fitzpatrick doesn't need to have as many. And if A.J. Brown sets the, the receiving record, because there's no other <laughs> you get all the targets right <laughs> yeah um then then obviously things change but yeah i agree i mean just just throwing out ballpark numbers 500 yards i know 30 yards a game doesn't sound like a lot but i mean a thousand yard season is like only 60 yards per game average well obviously 500 times two so that that's like i mean 60 yards per game doesn't sound like a lot when you say it like that because we're all fantasy football players now everyone who watches the nfl pretty much is a fantasy football player on some level right so when you look at fantasy football, you're like 60 yards. That's not a good game. I need 100 yards for it to be considered a good game. But in the context of an NFL offense, if the offense is producing and one player puts up 60 yards, that's a great day. So for a fourth round rookie, I'd be perfectly happy with 30 yards per game from him. 
Agreed. And, you know, uh, he's got, he's going to have an opportunity or so it appears. Right. And, and I will say this, I, I think he's advanced enough in his skill set. Yes. You know, the odds are stacked against him, as you mentioned, being a fourth round rookie, but when, you know, analyze the player himself, uh, I, I think he's got the route running ability to contribute right away. And I think that's the key with him. And I think it's a big reason why they liked him. Truthfully, I really think that's why they moved up to get him there. Yes, it was the fourth round, but they did move up about what 20, 30 picks to come get him. I think that's a big part of the puzzle here. And they gave up a fifth and a seventh to to do so. So they gave up two extra two extra dart throws pretty much because they were very confident in that dart throw. And yeah, I think that they I mean, John Robinson talks about this all the time when when asked about usually this is pre-draft stuff. They say like, how many first round players do you think there are in this class? And somebody asks him this question every single year and every single year he gives the same answer about how they don't really grade round by round grades. They assign roles to players, starter, special teams contributor, backup, whatever it is they think this guy is going to be. They, they assign a role and then they draft the roles that they need. So I think sometimes the draft value is obviously an important thing, but I think some of it gets lost a little bit in terms of like what John Robinson is looking to do. Like, and you hear a lot of people had Des Fitzpatrick as a sixth round guy or a UDFA guy or whatever, but like John Robinson doesn't grade like that. John Robinson probably had like deep threat wide receiver contributor. I mean, I don't know how the heck John Robinson does his, his roles obviously, but I think that, they are drafting a guy like that. They're trading up to get a guy like that because, like you said, they think he can contribute from day one and because they have a role in mind for what he can be right off the bat. So I think I think we maybe put a little too much weight on, like, value, getting good value in the draft. At the end of the day, get good players. And if Des Fitzpatrick turns out to be a good player, then great. If not, then it's then it's a miss regardless of where you drafted him, right? So I think uh, I think we have pretty good pretty good expectations here i think we're on the same page when it comes to thinking about what des fitzpatrick can be another position we mentioned here we've talked a lot about the tight end position i think i mean i'm basing a lot of takes here off of a few clips from practice videos but i thought tommy hudson looked really good out there he looks big he just looks like an nfl player um and the other two tight ends the the udfa rookies Riley Moore and who's the other guy, Forrestall? Miller um, Forrestall from Alabama, yeah. Miller Forrestall. I didn't think those guys looked as great. Obviously, it's just a few reps in a drill, and Tommy Hudson is has been here, and he knows the drills, and he knows how to run them, but he just looks like a guy to me that, like, runs the drill hard. Like, he he he's trying to treat the drill like take the drill to the field, take the practice field to the game. Like it looks like he's really trying to implement that. A guy who who runs through the catch and like takes off for 20 extra yards upfield, even if that's not a necessary part of the drill. I think a guy like that earns a lot of favor with the coaching staff. So if I'm looking at a, a potential sleeper to emerge at tight end who isn't Anthony Ferkser, I think Tommy Hudson has a chance to make the team and maybe be a bigger contributor than anyone really expects right now. Yeah, you know, the thing with Tommy, I'll, I'll say this is you're right about he's been here for a year. That that alone gives him a huge leg up and a huge advantage on the new UDFAs, guys like Briley Moore and Miller Forrestall. He's been here, right? And, and, and on top of that, keep in mind, he was suspended for four games at one point, right? He got popped for something, and the Titans held on to him through that. I mean, I, not to read too much into that, but how easy would it have been to just cut him? You know what I mean? This isn't a guy that's fundamental to your roster. This isn't even a guy that made your roster. 
right? He was never even on your active roster and he was on the practice squad the entire season for him to be suspended for those four games and you to hold on to him. That tells me they saw something there, right? And they liked him and thought he was worth developing. Well, now he's got an excellent opportunity to make this football team, barring a trade, barring a Zach Ertz and OJ Howard, uh, Cameron Braid, whoever uh, it may be available. But barring that, Tommy Hudson's probably the favorite, I would think, right? Over a Briley Moore or a Miller Forsall. Again, because he's been here and he's worked with these coaches and he's done these reps and, and he, he's got he's a big dude, right? He's, he's, a, he's a giant dude that really fits yeah. in uh, with the culture and, and what they like to do on offense. So uh, watch out for Tommy Hudson over these next couple months. And I like that you said that because last year during that time when they made that decision to keep him on the roster, it was no secret that Jonu Smith was in the last year of his contract and and Michael Pruitt as well and Anthony Ferkser, who they were able to bring back on whatever restricted deal, whatever rights they made, they, they were able to control with him. But I mean, at the time, all three of those tight ends were, were set to be free agents, right? So they knew looking ahead, like maybe this guy can help us next year if some of these other players walk. So I don't know. I, I hate to like get excited over a, a back of the roster guy, but he kind of makes me a little excited. I, like you said, he's got great size. He, he just looks like he fits the part out there. So interested to see where that goes. Any other guys you want to mention from this rookie class, Dylan Radins or Monty Rice or anybody else that you saw something, some, some report about from, from this past weekend? I thought, I thought Raiders looked good. The few reps that you saw out there on Twitter. I also thought he handled the interview portion. Well, I think someone asked him something about money at one yeah, point. I he tweeted was like, that yeah. clip. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yeah, we're, we're here to play football. I, you know, I, he didn't want to talk about that at all, which I enjoyed. He strikes me as a, as a big football guy. So I thought he handled things well and looked good. One other UDFA I'll quickly mention is Chandon Herring, the O-lineman. There are a lot of O-linemen there, right, at, at this uh, rookie minicamp. Guys that were even here last year, UDFAs like Brandon Kemp from last year and, and guys from the practice squad that finished the year on there. So a lot of competition there. But Chandon Herring, a guy out of BYU, uh, has played tackle, played guard, of course, protected Zach Wilson. Uh, the number two overall pick uh, this past season is a guy that I like quite a bit. I like Herring. He's versatile. He's play, he can play multiple positions. He's athletic. He, he moves well laterally. So I uh, interviewed him recently. Haven't had a chance to publish that yet, but look for that in the coming weeks. And he really impressed me with how much he talked about how similar uh, in a sense the schemes are at BYU and Tennessee. It really impressed me with what he knew about the Titans scheme already talking about that outside zone and the, the rules to it and everything and, and how familiar he is with it. So well, that's another guy I would say watch out for. There's a lot of competition there on the O-line. So uh, the path to the roster is a little more difficult, but uh, this is a guy that I'm, that I'm pretty high on. Interesting. And, and that's funny you say that because Dylan Radins was asked a similar question and he mentioned how the run game was not that similar, how they did a lot more power stuff and, uh, at, at North Dakota State, and and the Titans are going to be asking him to do a lot more zone zone blocking in the run game, obviously, which is a little hint. I mean, we we all were expecting Todd Downing to continue to run the same offense here in Tennessee, but we didn't know for sure. Obviously, we still don't know for sure, but it sounds like they are obviously going to continue the the main component of the run game there, which is the outside zone scheme. So based on what you heard, based on what Raiden said in his interview, it seems pretty clear and pretty obvious to me. Um yeah, I think that about covers rookie minicamp. I mean, Racy McMath, we don't really know what to expect. Brady Breeze, these these guys will probably play special teams more than anything. Monty Rice, I mean, who knows what what role he's going to have as currently the fourth linebacker. It's probably a special teams role there too. And didn't see a whole lot of of stuff about any of those guys. So we'll wait and see what we hear, and we'll keep an eye on Twitter for more videos of Titans doing stuff when OTAs come up here at the beginning of June. But until then. 
until June. I think it's going to be a really slow period. Something interesting to watch out for, though, is that June 1st date because teams can make transactions and they can make transactions now and designate them as as post June 1st. But it could also be a date that teams are waiting to make a move. They, they, they may not do it now and designate later. They may wait. Julio Jones is the subject of a lot of rumors, and it came out on Thursday that the Falcons are are trying to trade him. They want to trade him. This is, I mean, they've admitted to taking calls about him, but this is the first time it's really come out that it sounds like they're actively trying to trade him. And the Titans were mentioned as a potential landing spot, not because anybody's heard anything, but just because people are connecting dots. The Titans obviously need receivers. Titans obviously have a relationship with Arthur Smith, the the offensive coordinator here and tight ends coach for years and quality control coach before that. I mean, he goes way back in, in the Titans organization. Everyone knows that. So there's a lot of speculation about Julio Jones being on the move and potentially going to Tennessee. What are your initial thoughts about this, about Julio Jones as a Titan? My initial thoughts are I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I think it would be great if it did happen. Obviously, it would be a huge upgrade there at receiver two for them. I'm surprised, I'll say this, at how many Titans fans I've seen on Twitter, some people floating up the idea around that uh, he could be had for a second-round pick. And that's not, the, sorry, that's not just coming from Titans Twitter. There are media members reporting that that may be the case, right? They're not, they're not going to get a first-round pick at, at his age. I'm surprised at how many Titans fans are, are, are immediately shooting that down. A second-round pick, I wouldn't do that. I think you're going to be on the same page as, as, as I am here. I'm not saying that that's a home run and that, that I would absolutely do it, but I wouldn't rule it out. I don't think a second round pick is some crazy asset that you absolutely don't give up for Julio Jones. I mean, Julio Jones is Julio Jones. I don't think he's about to fall off a cliff. I, I think he's still a really good football player that has a year or two of, 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 of big time football uh, left in the tank there. And, and with this team being in the Super Bowl window, you know, how long is Derrick Henry going to play at this level? How long is Ryan Tannehill going to play at this level? Uh, part of you thinks go for it, right? Like, I mean, and Julio helps you uh, potentially capitalize on that. So uh, I, I'm not saying that I would for sure do it, uh, but, but I think I would. And I don't think a second round pick would deter me from doing it. So according to Ian Rappaport, completing a deal for Julio would be, quotes, incredibly complicated because of the cap implications. So according to Ian Rappaport, a deal would not happen until after June 1st anyway. Julio has a $23 million cap hit in 2021, nearly $20 million cap hit in 2022. But by by designating it post-June 1st, you can move half of the guaranteed money that is due to him over to next year's cap. And I also saw in the report today that the Falcons may be willing to take on a portion of Julio's of Julio's contract in order to facilitate a trade. But if you look at what cap hits the Titans would be responsible for if, if the Falcons don't help out at all, if they just do the post-June 1st deal and the signing bonus is handled by Atlanta and the Titans have to handle the base salaries for the rest, 2021 cap hit, 15 million. 2022, 11.5 million. 2023, 11.5 million. It, it equals out to a three year, $38 million deal in total. This is according to Field Yates. So, I mean, when you put it in those terms, three years, 38 million for Julio Jones, I'm all in uh, when it comes to the Titans. But there is the, the factor of the, the salary cap. The Titans have like $3 million in cap space, uh, approximately right now for 2021. So it would be pretty difficult to fit $15 million in there. And so I think that 
you know, we've talked about this all all offseason. The Titans could restructure a Ryan Tannehill deal or Taylor Lewan contract or one of these or Derrick Henry or one of these guys with a huge guaranteed money. They could try to restructure that. They probably wouldn't do it for no reason. They're not going to do it just to have cap space because you push some of that. The reason it frees up cap space is because you're pushing that cap hit onto next season and and all the all the following year, all the remaining years of whatever player's contract you're doing that to. You're pushing the cap hit down onto those years. So John Robinson is not just going to increase next year's cap hit for no reason. He's going to wait until he has a player to use that money on for this season. So I think that it is in the realm of possibility. The Titans could do the cap magic that is needed to make a deal like this work, even though they're right up against it right now. And we all know John Robinson must hate restructuring contracts because he hasn't done it yet. That's kind of a, a, a talking point on Titans Twitter. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think he's just waiting to see what is out there. Is trading for Julio Jones the best move of the offseason? Like if if we're planning out the offseason, we're sitting here Let's go back to January and we're looking ahead and we're like, what, what's the Titans plan this offseason? Would I say restructure Ryan Tannehill so you can trade a second round pick to acquire Julio Jones? No, I would have said restructure Ryan Tannehill so you can pay Corey Davis and Jonu Smith and keep your offense intact. The Titans decided they didn't want to do that. For whatever reason, maybe Corey and Jonu didn't want to come back to Nashville or maybe they did and the Titans didn't value them at the contracts that they got paid. Who the heck knows? Nobody really knows. The point is the Titans decided that wasn't the path they were going to take. They were going to basically ignore the receiver position until the fourth round of the draft. So now as we sit here, I would say that while it's not the plan I would have envisioned in January, if they can make it happen, how do you not do that for Julio Jones? I know he's 32 years old, but... I mean, this is a guy, he had seven straight thousand yard seasons until last year. We only played nine games and still put up 771 yards. 771 yards in nine games last year as not really the number one guy in the offense with Calvin Ridley. I mean, Corey Davis had what, 976 yards and he played the, the whole season almost? Like, come on, man. This is a no brainer to me. Yes, a second round pick, but second round picks turn out to be Kevin Dodds way more often than they turn out to be A.J. Browns or Derrick Henry's. So to me, if you can get a guy like Julio Jones for the next three years, yes, he'll be 35 at the end of that deal. And yeah, he'll probably be pretty much broken down by then. But I mean, put his brain in the wide receiver room and let A.J. Brown and and Des Fitzpatrick, for that matter, who talked about wanting to pick A.J. Brown's brain, let him pick Julio Jones' brain, for goodness sake. Anyway, your rebuttal. <laughs> no, I think I, I agree with you that the plan would have been better if they were going to do this, they should have done it in January and, and brought back their guys, which is why I don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I, I don't think restructures are in the card uh, are on the cards for whatever reason, because if they were, then they probably would have done it already. So I'm, I'm a big Julio Jones fan. I think he has a lot left in the tank. I am absolutely in favor of bringing Julio Jones to Tennessee. And I like what you said about, uh, about Kevin Dodds and Austin Johnson's because it's true. Sometimes people value picks too much. I mean, Imagine, would you, would you trade Kevin Dodd for Julio Jones? Would you trade Austin Johnson for Julio Jones? Like, obviously. You know I mean, <laughs> yeah, of course it can go the other way. You wouldn't trade AJ Brown for Julio Jones right now, right? So, of course, there's always a chance you, you hit big time on that pick. It's a risk either way. But you're right. There are more busts than there are hits, right? That, that's just the matter. That's just how the draft plays out every single year. 
especially when you get to rounds two, three, and, and, and so on. So I, I would absolutely do this, but I would be beyond shocked if they did first, mainly the cap reasons. I mean, they, they got nothing. They got $3 million left, right? Uh, I believe according to F-Words pod, in that 3 to $4 million range, they got no money left. And yeah, there's talk about Atlanta can retain some of his salary in a deal, which by the way, you haven't really seen happen. I think that'd be interesting if it starts happening, what kind of precedence that might set, but uh, I, you know, not not to poop on this, you know, possibility. I know or or, or when the Titans traded for Ryan Tannehill, the Dolphins restructured it and tight and so for the Titans on the Titans' right. behalf or whatever. So there's a chance they could do something like that where they just restructure right. it at the there's point of a something trade. to be done. But the point is, is there any way that gets done without them restructuring somebody? No, oh, there's not. I mean, the cap it's implications in, would say exactly. No. So that to me kills it right there because I don't think they're going to restructure anybody. I mean, they can't. It's it, it's silly of me to rule out, but I know it's so easy, right? And they can do it and get it done like a snap of the finger. You don't even got to ask the player, right? It's our understanding. It just gets done. With that right. said, I, I just if it didn't happen already, and yeah, are they high enough on Julio Jones to go against that rule? It sure it sure seems like they have a rule against it, right? Because they didn't do it with any, you know, when they could have brought back their own guys. So. I, I would be beyond shocked if this happens. I think it's it's too small sample size. To, yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I think it's too small sample size to say that it's that they have some rule or some philosophical reason for not restructuring. I, I think that you know John Robinson hasn't been here long enough to be able to have, and there weren't Titans on second contracts when he got here outside of like Jarrell Casey because uh, the drafting was so bad up to that point. So. We don't really know how he feels, and this is one of those weird years where the cap's way down, and it's not supposed to go up all that much next year. The TV deals that are going to boost the cap are not going to kick in for a couple years. So I could see him being very reluctant to push you know, 10 or $15 million down onto next year's cap hit for sure, um, given, given where they're at now. But, you know, it's time for this team to go all in. And the thing that makes me think it is still possible – and and I know you're you're all but ruling it out. What do you what would you say? One percent chance this happens? Yeah, le- less than le- less than five. Yeah, one to five percent. I would say. Like I would put it way closer to like forty five. And the reason is, last year, I mean, we all had this feeling that Clowney was going to sign with the Titans, and we talked about it on this podcast for literally months because it took him forever to make a decision. Or, or because he didn't want to go to training camp is really the reality, I think. Um, but we, it just kind of felt like it was going to happen all off season. Like we need the, like the Titans are in a window. They went to the AFC Championship game. They, they need to go all in. They took a risk by signing Vic Beasley and and all the other crap that happened last year. And and then they went and got Clowney and they paid the fifteen million and they did it. They they basically did the equivalent of going all in at that for what that meant at that point last season. And what's changed this year other than you don't need Clowney to rush the edge because you got Bud Dupree now. At the time they signed Clowney, they had way more depth at the outside linebacker position with Harold Landry and Vic Beasley. And Kamale, Kamale Correa was still on the team. And Derek Roberson was a promising guy coming off of like three sacks in two games to close out 2019, right? Obviously didn't really do that last year. But coming off of the 2019 season, I would say the edge depth was way better than what we're looking at with wide receiver right now. And they still made the move to get Clowney at $15 million per year, what 13.5 plus incentives, whatever it was. So, I mean, Julio's like Clowney of the offense. He's a little bit older, but Clowney, you know, dealing with injuries, I think Clowney's body is maybe a little older than his actual age in terms of NFL years. 
right? So like a guy who's a potential injury risk, who's been a, a high quality veteran player in this league for a long time, who costs around $15 million. I guess the big difference is Julio would cost a draft pick as well. But, you know, if you're going all in, you got to go all in. And I, there's no better year right now. Like next year is not going to be a better year to go all in than this year, is it? No, it's not. Uh, I would agree with you. I mean, and you bring up a good rebuttal point there with Clowney. I, I think the major difference there, or at least a big difference, uh, is that they had the cap space, right? I mean, they, they That's didn't. Fair. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. They didn't do anything drastic, right? To to no, get under the cap, no yeah, release, no big releases, no restructures. They had the room, whereas here they don't have the room. And uh, I, I think for the most part, they're done. Maybe they bring in a tight end. I could see them bringing in a, a Zach Ertz or a Cameron Braid, OJ Howard. I know I mentioned all those names earlier. I could see something like that, maybe. Um, but I think for the most part, they're done. Yeah. I mean, they they definitely could be done. But just when you look at the depth at wide receiver and tight end, for that matter, pass catchers. Let's just call them pass catchers. They, to me, they still got to add another body. And I mean, if, the, if you can get Julio Jones for a second round pick, I don't know. You you just. Yeah, do I think you, you just, think long and hard about it, and I'm in favor of it, right? It's again, not it's that it's not a risk. Film. I mean, no. it's definitely a big risk. Julio could be done. He could break down. He only played nine games last year. Like he, he could be. It could be over for Julio. But and look at John Robinson's had a, uh, uh, you know, you've seen how he's moved on from guys before. It's it's a year too late. Terrell yeah, Casey, Malcolm true. Butler, right? He wasn't afraid to dump guys as they were getting older, right? And so. I don't know that he would go out and get Julio Jones. I, I just don't. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe he, maybe he's not trying to get older right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously we we don't know anything yet, but it's in the news and the Titans have been mentioned, and it would be super exciting from from the perspective of someone covering this team for them to add a Julio. I mean, how immediate does the wide receiver room just like look so much better? just by pushing all these guys down to what I would consider their proper roles or their 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 best fits for a role. Like put Josh Reynolds at wide receiver three, put Cam Batson as like your gadget guy that comes in and can play the slot or can run jet sweeps, but only has to play 15 to 20 snaps a game, if, if that even. Put Des Fitzpatrick at wide receiver five, so you're not relying on a fourth round rookie to come in and be somebody great. And then Racy McMath can go play special teams or maybe not even make the roster. You know, like that's where those guys belong. And they're all jumped up a notch right now because there's just no other receivers on the team. I agree. I'm, I'm in full agreement there. And a couple episodes, yeah, I mean, I don't even want to get into all that, but uh, I, I agree. Yeah, Julio Jones for a second round pick. I think that's a move that that's worth making. All right. I'm glad you agree it's worth making, even if you don't think it will happen. But we did it. We got through an off-season podcast here. We went even longer than I thought we would go. Um, as usual, that happens to us. We talk a lot. But that's it. It's going to wrap it up. You want to say anything else before we close out this episode? No, I don't. I think we covered a lot of things here. And, uh, you know, hope people enjoy. And we've, we've got a lot more, lot more on the way. Good stuff in, in the coming weeks. Absolutely. We're still working on trying to trying to secure maybe an interview or something. We don't know what's happening. I'm just throwing out possible ideas. So stay tuned next week to see uh, maybe a surprise or not. Or maybe we'll just be back to talk about more, more nonsensical things that don't matter uh, because it's May. And that's what you do when you cover a football team in May. All right. Tune in next week. We appreciate you guys. Follow Justin on Twitter at Justin M underscore NFL. 
follow me at Titans Film Room. Head over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. If you haven't already, check out Justin's interview with Des Fitzpatrick. It is a great piece. And hopefully we'll get the green light to, to post a few more interviews soon. We're, we're waiting for that. So check out broadwaysportsmedia.com. Subscribe to the Music City Audible podcast. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, we will be back next week. Until then, you guys stay safe out there. Get your vaccine shot and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.